0: Well, thanks, Sarah. Good morning and welcome to Auckland EV. My name's Rowan, one of the pastors here. And what a privilege it is to come together. I want to say Merry Christmas to you uh, as we celebrate Jesus this Christmas. Why don't we pray and ask God that through his word that we just heard, that he might work in our hearts, that he might show us the joy of Christmas, and he might send us out today changed, having heard him speak. Why don't you join me in prayer? Lord God, as we come together this day, as we celebrate uh, the day of your son's birth tomorrow, We ask that as we've heard your word read, that you would, by your spirit and through your word this morning, show us the incredible joy that comes at Christmas. Not just in the gifts, but but in your word and in your son. Would you help us to see for the first time or the 5,000th time how amazing you are. And you would show us your will and help us to live your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what you uh, think about Christmas and Christmas presents uh, and what sort of presents you might get tomorrow or you might give, Um, but I want you to try and imagine a present so good, a present so amazing, so fulfilling, so satisfying that you could say at the end of tomorrow, this is it, I've arrived, I've got everything I've ever wanted, I never need anything else, I'm happy to die, right? Could you imagine a present like that? A presence so large. I now mean, I started thinking of all the things that I could ask for that would be so big or so so huge that I'd say, "That's it. I'm, I've had enough. You know, I've got all that I need." But the problem is, there's always another model. Whether it's a you know whatever it is that comes to your mind, the biggest thing that you could have, the best thing possible. Or there's always something better, or some other need that comes into our life. It makes me wonder: Is satisfaction actually possible? Is satisfaction actually possible i mean we live in the safest healthiest most well educated most democratic time in all of human history and yet some part of our human psyche causes us to look for something better something more we're always chasing that next thing that next gift that next set of satisfaction i mean can you even imagine a point in your life where you could honestly say I don't need or want anything else at all, ever. That's so foreign to our thinking. Well, it is to me. But today I want to put it to you that complete satisfaction is actually possible. I want to introduce you to someone who was so captured in human history, so enamored, so amazed, that after seeing this sight, he was ready to die. So come with me to luke chapter 2 verse 25 as we meet a man named simeon have a look it's on the screen there was a man in jerusalem whose name was simeon this man was righteous and devout looking forward to israel's consolation and the holy spirit was on him it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he saw the lord's messiah guided by the spirit he entered the temple and when the parents brought the child jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Can you imagine that? Something so satisfying that you are ready to die because of it, there's nothing else to gain, there's no other want, no other dream, no other hope, no other need that you have. And what was it that's caused so much fulfillment for this man? Simeon, so much satisfaction. What is it that said, I'm ready to die? It was a child. It was a child. Now, I I know children are a massive blessing. We have four of them, and they're amazing most of the time, right? Most of the time. It's an incredible privilege to raise a child. Just being around children, it gives a sense of joy as well. Uh, When Sarah and I were first married, the the first house we rented was actually opposite a school. And so at lunchtime, you'd hear the noise of children playing and there's this is great joy and, and kind of shrieks of happiness and children laughing. And there was something that was really good about it. I once heard a town planner say that they actually planned to put retirement villages around primary schools so that there's like this kind of um, this helpful, joyful noise for people to, to think about who are in the retirement villages because there's something happy around being, being around children. There's a sense of a future, a, a hope for society as a whole. But saying that you're ready to die after only seeing a child. Well, at first thought, I think that's kind of weird, don't you? (laughs) Because nobody, not even their parent, should be that focused on their child. Okay, nobody should. Either that or there's something incredibly special, something incredibly significant and and relevant and powerful about this particular child. Let me ask you, what, what would it take? for someone in your world to create that response in you? What would they need to provide or bring or be or do that you might say, so to speak, I'm ready to die? We live in a world that cherishes the idea of love at first sight. I don't know if that's your story, if you've experienced that idea of love at first sight. But no one who sees their love at first sight is like, wow, look at that person, I'm amazed by them then says, so I'm ready to die. Right? No one does that. Imagine the wedding day, right? We, the bride and groom are there, and the bride starts walking down the aisle, and the groom looks up and says, whoa, she's amazing. Lord, take me now. <laughs> Maybe there's going to be marriage problems there. I don't know what's going on in that relationship, but he's willing to die before she even gets to the front of the aisle. I don't know what's going on. Right? No, be, it sounds... What we're after is, is, is more than just that moment of love at first sight. It's, it's, well, a relationship, isn't it? There's a relationship. There's more to have. There's life to come, life together. For something to be so satisfying, so, so helpful and good that you're willing to die after only experiencing it, well, the logical conclusion one can make, and I want to say the only logical conclusion there is to this, is that that thing must be able to offer or secure something that transcends death. For me to be able to say, yeah, I'm willing to die now that I've seen it, it must be something that transcends death, the great robber of joy and satisfaction and life. Have a listen to what captivates Simeon about this child. Luke 2, 29. Now, Master, he says to God, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Let me ask you today, as you think about Christmas, who, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And what role does he play in your life? You might have been a Christian your whole life, born into a Christian family that put Jesus at the center of all they did. You've gone to church, you've, you've read the Bible every day of your life. But let me ask you today what role does Jesus play in your life, in your everyday, of the way you think about life and Him, and how you prioritize what you do each day, and what you live for, and what goals you set, and your hopes and your dreams of how you live your life? What role does Jesus actually play? for you this man simeon is so captivated by jesus so amazed at who he is and what he brings that it's as if nothing else in life mattered at all it's not that he was depressed like freddie mercury nothing really matters everyone can see nothing really matters to me he wasn't this depressed person singing bohemian rhapsody no he was amazed captured captivated by this person jesus so much so that his life's purpose and goal was centered on him that he can say i have now lived having met this child i wonder is that how you think about jesus is that the way he affects your life Perhaps for you, you're, you're new to this Christianity thing. You're, you're coming along and checking out Jesus or someone brought you along here. So glad you came. Welcome. We love having you here. We love getting to know you and pointing people to Jesus. You've known about Jesus, perhaps. Um, you know, there's a bit of cultural background and you've seen some nativity scenes in shop windows. You kind of get the story. But for you, maybe Jesus doesn't mean that much at all. I think for each and every one of us in this room, including myself, We've all missed some of the significance and the relevance of this child, Jesus, to us. If I'm honest, he doesn't capture my life the way Simeon seems to be captured by him. There's something I've missed about who he is and how great he is. So come with me and let Simeon show us why Jesus is worth our worship. Verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. This child doesn't just bring salvation he doesn't just provide salvation he is salvation simeon has met the savior and naturally we don't think salvation is something that we need and you know, sometimes we think it's something others need they need saving they need help but rarely do we ever say look oh, i need saving um rarely do we do that rarely are we so stuck that we need such help if you ever been in one of those situations though, where you do need rescuing, where you do need salvation, it's it's terrifying. I remember in, in 2004, the year was, I got caught in a rip. I was uh, at the beach with some friends and um, uh, there was these massive, massive waves, um, like ten, 10 foot waves or some people out there surfing, but they look like pros. And I'm like, I've never seen waves just breaking across the beach like this. So well, I'd, I'd grown up at a beach for holidays. And so I'd done a bit of body boarding. And so I, I grabbed this polystyrene board from the caravan we were staying in. I'll go out and I'll kind of have a go at catching these massive waves in. Well, I swam out there. The first wave picked me up and just dumped me so hard that the board just went off I had no board I'm about a hundred meters out where these waves are breaking and, and, then, I'm, and then i and kind of come to the surface and the next wave comes and just dumps me down I felt like dirty washing in a washing machine I was just turning over and over under the water like a, that, that wave kind of went through and I t- tried to swim to the surface I took a breath as the next wave hit me and that continued for about three or four minutes and I'm like well, what am I gonna do I, I literally went I, I can't keep swimming here I'm just getting smashed um, thankfully, one of the other board writers had seen my board go off and went in and got my board and brought it back to me and gave it to me, which was super helpful. And then I said, can you help me get in? Because I was like, I was exhausted. And I, I really needed help at that moment. It's moments like these when we recognize, man, I, I've got nothing to offer. I can't get myself out of this situation. That we look for a savior, don't we? What Simeon had seen that day was not just his life at rock bottom. He didn't feel like his life was at rock bottom, but he saw the ultimate problem of humanity, the ultimate thing that robs us of joy. He saw in Jesus the solution to death, the thing that we all need to be saved from, the thing that all of us are headed 100 miles an hour toward, that death is going to be each of our end. Death is going to rob satisfaction from each and every one of us. And Simeon that day held in his arms the solution to death The child here was God the Son. He was a solution to Simeon's need, but not just Simeon's need, but to the whole world. See, in verse 25, Simeon tells us that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation. Now you hear that word consolation, I just think of either two things. The person who came second on the podium, they got the consolation prize. Who wants that? No one. We always want to come first. Or, you know, someone consoling someone else. Like, like, like the mother, going there, there to a teenage son. And the teenage son kind of going, "Ugh, get away from me. Uh, I don't want any of that. It's this kind of patronizing consolation kind of picture. But that's not what Simeon had in mind here. See, one of the great things about the Bible... The great things we've been pointing out through this series, if you've been with us, as we've heard the songs of the king, and it's one of the things that, that really convinces me that this story of Jesus isn't just some made-up story, is that the Bible keeps promising that God would do things. He promises, through a huge time span, that, that things would happen, and then they come to fulfillment in a way that you can't fake. The consolation of Israel was something God promised through the prophet Isaiah 700 years earlier. 700 years that had been written and passed around and passed on to others you can't fake that and this is why Simeon says in verse 31 you've prepared this salvation in the presence of all people because God's plan began at the beginning of time we heard in that opener video this morning That as God spoke light into the world, He promised a son of Adam and Eve would crush the serpent's head. That God would bring the great victory over death and the one who caused it. In Isaiah 40, um, 700 years earlier, He promised comfort, consolation. Listen to this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. And her sin has been paid for. The word comfort here is the consolation that Simeon was looking forward to. He wasn't just making some words up someday in the temple when he saw some child. He's saying, this is what's happening. What God promised in Isaiah 700 years earlier is here. I have seen the promised one to bring salvation and comfort and to pay the price for our sin. In this context in Isaiah, Israel is getting smashed from the nations around them because they rejected God. That's why they're calling out for comfort because, well, they're under God's judgment. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. They they had rejected the true and living God. They'd rejected the God that had saved them and brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. They said, oh, we don't need him. We want to serve other gods. We want to serve ourselves. And so God was showing them that there's not life to the full as we think about Christmas if we're honest with ourselves that kind of sounds like me and you doesn't it we often worship pretty much everything else except for God we love the things of this world rather than the God who made them we we live for the now the experience the presence the comfort the pleasure I just think about how little God often plays a role in my life or in this time of year. We we celebrate Christmas, but how much do we focus on the Christ? The Bible calls that putting ourselves at the center of our world, something that we all do as humans. The Bible calls that sin, And, and it means to fall short of what we were made for. And no one likes talking about downer things like sin at Christmas. Why are you bringing this up, Rowan? What are you kind of talking about here Well, unless we recognise our own situation before God, we won't recognise the great joy of Christmas. Unless we recognise that we need saving, that we are in a great spot of need because we've rejected the God who gives life, then Christmas will look dim. Christmas will just be some kind of celebration that I don't really need, that doesn't really have much relevance for me. But when we recognise that we need forgiveness, that we need a solution to our situation before God, then Christmas brings on a whole new light. Isaiah spoke of the one who would solve this problem of our sin in Isaiah 53 verse 5. He spoke of him this way. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. Right? You hear that 700 years before Jesus and you're like, wow, isn't that what happened to Jesus? Wasn't he pierced because of our rebellion? Wasn't he crushed because of our turning our backs on God? He was providing peace between us and God as he took our place on that cross, as he took the penalty for our rebellion. God himself dealt with our greatest need. He died so that we could have life. He died so that we could have eternal joy, Isaiah says. Eternal joy. What Simeon is saying here in Luke 2 He's, here is the one. Here is salvation. The one who is the solution to death itself. The one who would crush the serpent. The one who would crush Satan's plan to bring us all to death. The one is here. It's him. In our search for satisfaction, we so often look in all the wrong places, don't we? We think the purpose of life is to get as much as you can, to cram into life as much as possible of comfort and pleasure and relationship and and fun. Before the chapter of our life closes, we, we, we want to fill our life to the max. You only live once, right? But what if there was far more to life than just this momentary here and now and then we die? What if there was something after death? What if the God who made us? Stitched into us this desire for more that we're reaching out for and trying to stuff our lives like one of those kind of socks we fill at Christmas with all those little presents we give to people, those kind of stocking. What if we try and do that thinking that this is all there is when there's a whole house, a whole eternity to be filled with relationship and goodness and joy? Simeon is convinced. The purpose of life isn't to stuff as much in as possible in this minuscule window of time between birth and death. But the purpose of life is to see the solution to death, the one who transcends death, to see our salvation, to meet our maker. What Simeon's story shows us is that life to the full is found in and only in Jesus Because Jesus is salvation. He's the fulfillment of the purpose of life. He's the only one that offers us something that transcends death. In John 11, Jesus spoke these words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. I am the resurrection the life the one who believes in me even if he dies will live friends can you imagine life beyond death life that doesn't end how amazing it is to live forever with no more sickness no more mourning no more crying no more pain can you imagine what that would be like Can you imagine joy unspeakable that, that lasts forever people being changed and made like we were made to be with no evil and and no rebellion and no sin and right relationship with God. Can you imagine a world like that? It's so hard, but so incredible. Friends, what Christmas brings is incredible that we might meet salvation. It's incredible not only for Simeon, but for us Two, because of what Simeon says next look at verse 31 speaking of God he says you have prepared it in the presence of all people this salvation has been prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel what he's saying here is that this Jesus isn't some secret society Christianity is not some hidden code or, or or kind of uh, this, this, this society we need to find out more about or, or to kind of understand some mystery or some kind of idea. It's not a secret message that's been revealed to only one or two people. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Islam and Mormonism, both these worldviews, uh, are just worldviews that were revealed to one person who, who saw it or heard it in secret. Muhammad, 700 years after the time of Jesus, had this vision of what Jesus was really like. No one else saw the vision that was there. The history books aren't alight with testimonies of Muhammad's amazingness like they are with Jesus. Joseph Smith, the the guy that kind of started the Mormons, he too had a vision about places and things that happened after Jesus left Jerusalem, places no one has ever found and that unlike the vast amount of things that have been found archaeologically around what the Bible says that lines up with the scriptures, the Mormon church spent billions trying to find evidence and could not. These were secret revelations to people that were done and then they said, This is what happened. And then people followed them. But not this salvation. Not Christianity. It came, verse 32 says, in the presence of all people. And for something for everyone to be able to see. God's plan of a promised king coming was out in the open. It was a common expectation for the people of the Jews. Like I showed you from Isaiah, but we could have gone to Jeremiah, we could have gone to the Psalms, we could have gone to 2 Samuel, we could have gone to Genesis. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God had been pointing forward to this one coming, His promised King. Then, in what we celebrate tomorrow morning, in the sight of all people and all human history, God became flesh. Jesus stepped onto the world stage as salvation Himself. The history books, secular and Christian alike, all say that Jesus really lived. He really did these things. People claimed him to be a wonder worker. He really died under Pontius Pilate. People claimed to have seen him risen from the dead. And people worshipped him as God. You can find that in the secular history books as much as you can from the Christian accounts we have in the scriptures. Friends, what Simeon saw that day, what satisfied his life, was done in the sight of all people. It could be verified and checked. Sometimes I, I get people ask me, look, if Jesus, if he's really real, if he really is God, why didn't he reveal himself as a man in our age to me where, where I could see him and I could see the miracles and I could hear his voice? Well, part of the whole point of this being a real event is that it happened in, in real time. He can't keep coming back and... and keep dying and rising again like some sort of magician putting on a show at the local theater and going hey I'll come and do it again tomorrow and next year and next year and look everyone I'm a sideshow And he actually came into human history once for all imagine for a moment he he did come in your age and time and you saw the events and you're like man I'm convinced he is who the bible says he is and and he's done the stuff the bible says he did and that he died and rose again And he did it as a once for, and you saw it with your own eyes. Imagine you were convinced. Just imagine. Well, how would you then explain that to your grandchildren who never saw him, who weren't as convinced as you, who say, oh, look, unless I saw it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. You'd be like, I was there. I saw it. I saw what went on. It happened in the sight of all people. There are people who are still alive. You can go and ask and chat to them about what they saw. My friends, that's exactly what we have in the Scriptures, is an eyewitness account of a life of Jesus. At Christmas time, we remember that Jesus is not a fairy tale. He's not a myth or a legend, but he stepped into our world as a real event in history, the coming of a real person who was himself salvation, God in the flesh. And it happened in the sight of all people. But there's something even more important for us, something more relevant for us. Not only was it in the sight of all people, but Jesus is salvation for all people. His salvation for all people, all nations. Look at verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's the nations, the non-Jews, and glory to your people Israel. Previously, God had been very clear that Israel were his people, that he was their God, out of all the nations on the earth. They were his people. However, God had promised throughout his people that the Jews, God's people, would be a blessing to all nations. So you go back to Genesis 12 and you hear this promise from God to Abraham right at the start. Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Did you hear it? All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. That promise of God to Abraham in Genesis 12, that his descendant will be a blessing to all nations, Simeon is saying is fulfilled here. In this child, Jesus, before his eyes, a descendant of Abraham had come, whose name is Jesus, and through him would bless the whole world, would bring salvation, the end to death, life that lasts forever. No wonder Simeon was excited. No wonder he was like, I'm ready to die. Jesus is the light for all nations. He came as a Jew, but not just for the Jews. He came and died in our place so that Jew and non-Jew so that everyone who trusts in Jesus could have life that lasts forever, could recognize him as king so that he might die in our place. If you haven't got this point yet, if you haven't got the relevance of this passage to us, Simeon's talking about you and me. Jesus came as a light for you. He came as a light for me that we might know salvation. That death would be exhausted. That we could have life that lasts forever. It's incredible. He came for you. Over the last few weeks, Sarah and I have been watching uh, the last season, the latest season of The Crown. some of you are like, woo, this is great. Some of you are like, oh, death warmed up. But anyway, um, it struck me in this last season how incredible it would have been for Kate Middleton, who um, became the the wife of of Prince William. Um, Imagine what it was like for her to know that the child that she would have would be at some point the next king or queen of England. Can you imagine that? She just grew up, no idea, like as a child in the playground playing with dirt and kind of like, yep, I'm not anything royal, not anything special in these ways. But then she marries this prince and her child would be the next reigning monarch at some point. It kind of made me think that's incredible to go from zero to hero I mean Prince William when he was born he knew he was royalty he's looking round at you know, the house they live in this is not a normal house people kind of don't normally live in stuff like this so that was quite clear but for her it's this incredible moment can you imagine cradling their eldest child and going wow you're gonna be the next king of England thinking wow my child is going to be like that well, for Simeon here in Luke 2 As he picked up Jesus from the arms of Jesus' mother, as his eyes connected with the child in his arms, he looked into the eyes, not only of the future king of the Jews, not only of the savior of the whole world, Jew and non-Jew, but he was gazing into the eyes of his creator and his sustainer. Can you imagine the wonder? Can you imagine the splendor and the joy in my arms? I'm holding my maker, the one who has offered me relationship with God again. Forgiveness is here. Death is going to be defeated by him. God's king is here. God in the flesh. Jesus. Friends, this Christmas, through the writing of of Luke and the words of Simeon, I want to put it to you that we have come face to face With Jesus and I need to ask you today what could possibly be better be more fulfilling be more joyful more satisfying than meeting your maker and hearing that he is salvation and knowing he has paid the price for your sin and that you can live forever that death will not be your end if you trust in him what could be better When the bright lights of this world flash before us, fun and family, relationships, security, comfort, pleasure, money. Can I encourage you this Christmas? Don't sell yourself short. Don't settle and be bedazzled by the twinkling lights of Christmas lights or the things of this world when what's on offer is the creator himself. Let me ask you today, are you at that point in your life where you have realized there's nothing more fulfilling, nothing more satisfying, nothing more enduring, no one more loving than God come in the flesh, Jesus? God's promised Saviour King come for you. This Christmas, it's my prayer that each and every one of us, would see Jesus afresh and more than that that we would we would fall on our knees before him in awe of what he's done for us in awe that we can have life that lasts forever in awe of the fact that death does not have to be our end and we can take him at his word that he brings life and life to the full life beyond death friends there is no one and no thing better than Jesus this Christmas, let that be your reality, let that be what captures you, let that be what lights up your life. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that Jesus has come and that has lived the perfect life, that he has died in our place, that he has taken the penalty that we deserve, that he's faced death for us so that he could be our salvation. Father, we confess that for all of us, we've we've put ourselves on the throne of our lives. We've taken your position. We've sinned and fallen short of what you intended for us. And so we ask that this Christmas that you would help us to see Jesus and the light he brings in a new light, in a fresh light, that we might recognize that when we've seen him, That we've seen life in its fullness and that you might help us to live our lives for him trusting him looking forward to an eternity with you and your people that jesus might be our king we pray you would help us to fall on our knees before this king and serve him we pray this in jesus name amen you've been listening to a sermon recording from auckland ev We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.